A voyeur is checking out a woman on a beach, and then the unthinkable happens. And then we take a look at the story of Gary Wilcox, a 27-year-old farmer tending his plot of land in 1964, Newark Valley. What started off as a normal workday turned into an interesting case of interplanetary trade, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. We're going to go ahead and get started with this. Jump right into it. Both feet down the hole of story. I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyways, anyways. The year is 1995. It's August 26th. It is a hot day in Newburgh Beach, Kentucky. A perfect day to go sunbathing. And on this day... There was a man watching a woman with a telescope. So he's quite a ways away. He, he, his, his motives may seem a little weird. Well, okay, let's call a spade a spade. It's definitely not something you should be doing. There's a dude with a telescope watching this woman sunbathing. Doesn't know the woman, never met her before in her life. Just sees an attractive woman catching some rays on the sand from the sun. Okay, you so set in the mood. Seagulls, caw, caw, flying around. Crabs. Those are the little, you're not typing. Those are the little, what are the claws? The little claws. And Heather Teague is sunbathing. Just another young woman looking for a tan. You get it. You get the, this, this. It's been set up, okay? A man sitting there in his house on his patio with his telescope watching this hot young woman catch rays. Okay, I don't know why. The scene is set up. The scene is set up. The sun was setting. No, I'm just joking. Okay. But he's watching her with the telescope. And then he sees come out of the bushes. So the beach, I guess I should have built the scene up some more. There's the beach, right? And then on one side of the beach is the water, how beaches normally work. And on the other side of the beach is like a forested area. And this dude, this unnamed dude... His name is not reported in any of these stories. And this is a true story. This, this involves the cops very, very quickly. This guy's watching this woman through his telescope. And he sees the kind of the, the brushes start to rustle. And he notices a man walk out of the forest behind her. Now, that wouldn't be anything too suspicious because it's a public beach. You don't get suspicious every time someone walks into a public beach. You're like, oh, no, call the cops. People, every time a car parks, they're like, oh, no. You see someone come out of the forest coming onto the beach. Not super suspicious. This guy, though, was had no shirt on. Again, that's not a red flag. It's not a red flag for a beach. He's wearing jeans. But he was also wearing a mosquito net over his face and a wig. And the guy in the telescope's watching this, and now he's really suspicious. Because he's like, what in the world? And he watches. Now he has his telescope on this guy. He just walks down the beach very calmly, walks up behind Heather, pulls a gun out, grabs her by the hair, drags her off into the woods. Now, this isn't... I actually had a story idea similar to this real-life event. Because what happened... My story idea was this. A guy was breaking into women's houses to videotape them while they were sleeping, because he's a voyeur. And he breaks into one woman's house, and that's all he does. He just videotapes them while they're sleeping. And he breaks into one woman's house. And while he's videotaping her while she's sleeping, he sees like this demonic figure kind of crawl up on the other side of the bed. 
and he runs away. And the next day, the woman is found murdered. Now, he has a dilemma because he's a criminal. He's committing a criminal act, and but then he saw something. And plus, since he'd broken to her apartment, he's kind of a suspect. They're like looking for his fingerprints. Like they have his fingerprints and stuff like that. But he's trying to convince this other girl that he also did this to, because he doesn't stop doing it. He still keeps breaking into women's rooms, trying to convince her that she's also in trouble because he also saw the demon. So in her room. So it's one of those things where he had a problem and his problem led him to discovering like a worse problem. And then um, it just kind of goes on from there. Like, so the dilemma is if you're a criminal, if you're committing a criminal act and in the commission of a criminal act, you see a worse criminal act. How do you go about reporting that? This guy, he could probably say, Hey, I was just looking at the beach with my telescope. I wasn't peeping. I wasn't doing anything inappropriate. Both hands are on the telescope. And the officer is probably like, whatever, buddy. Like, we just want to know what this suspect looked like. Because she went missing, completely missing. And what was interesting, again, this took place back in 1995. This, this crime gets spotted because you have a peeping Tom with a telescope. And the police start searching the area. They end up finding out that another guy was videotaping crop vandalism. He was having problems with crop vandalism, which I think might actually be a... Code word for crop circles. He's getting straight up signs, aliens walking around. But he was videotaping the area for crop vandalism. Actually, he was probably just videotaping sunbathers, but that was his excuse. But he caught footage of a car parked next to Heather's car. And the cops said, listen, that's a long shot, but we'll start looking into that. They started looking for that car that was parked next to Heather's car that day on the beach. They ended up pulling this man over who had... A matching car. It was a routine traffic stop. His name was Marvin Dill. Marvin Dill. And when they start searching his car, routine traffic stop. But they were they did have were keeping a lookout for this red on white Ford Bronco. They find two guns, two knives, duct tape, rubber gloves, rope, and they found some hair that looked like uh, Heather's. So they go, okay, this might be our guy. They actually end up letting him go because they don't have enough to hold him. And then when they go back to his house, he tells his wife, he sees the cops walking to the driveway and he tells his wife, hey, why don't you leave me alone for a while? And I got some business to take care of. And he shot himself. And that was it. That's it. No one's ever found Heather's body. No one has ever found who did it. It was, you know, most likely Marvin Dill. But weird story. But I think the most interesting part of it is how when you are in the commission of a crime, how can you report? I, I, I shouldn't be so harsh on the guy with the telescope. He might not have been as perverted as I'm making him out to be. He may have been an upstanding citizen who just wanted to see what the soil of a beach looked like with a telescope. But the point of the matter is, at a certain point, he had to make a phone call and say, Hey, officer, I was uh, watching the beach. I had my telescope on backwards. I was trying to look at boats, but I don't know how to use it. It was my first day, and I saw this horrible abduction. And it's also interesting to think, because you would think if... Something bad was happening to you if someone could, like, if you were being assaulted or something, you would hope that someone was watching, someone could intervene. And nowadays, that's the pretty much the case. You're surrounded by video cameras pretty much everywhere. But even when someone's watching the action live, you may still disappear off the face of the earth. Someone's looking at a crime committed against you, and you get dragged off into the woods and never seen again. It's just weird, because you think that as long as someone can see me, as long as someone can see me, maybe I can get help, but you can still disappear off the face of the planet while someone is watching you through a telescope. 
disappearing in the middle of the woods, that's one thing. Disappearing on a lonely trail is one thing. But disappearing in full view of somebody is quite, quite chilling. So let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, our next story is an interesting one. It's one that is actually dismissed for the most part in UFOology. It's one of those stories that has some of the similarities of what you hear from a UFO story, but it's not very widely talked about. It's kind of considered a hoax. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's considered a hoax. I have some mixed feelings about it, but I don't think it's the out-and-out hoax that mainstream UFOology says it is. Maybe I'm just being a contrarian. Let's go ahead and dig into the story of Gary Wilcox. The year is 1964. We're leaving Kentucky. We're leaving the beach. We're leaving the sunny, sunny beaches for the sunny, sunny farms of New York City. There are farms in New... Well, the farms are... Sorry, not New York City, New York State. We're in Newark Valley. That's the place we're at. It's 1964. It's April 24th. It's 10 a.m. in the morning, and Gary Wilcox is driving his tractor around his farm. He actually has it attached to a manure spreader, so it's just like, just shoot manure out everywhere. Not everywhere. It shoots it out in organized columns to help the crops grow. It's not like going on the neighbors. Dennis the Menace didn't invent it, but he has his manure spreader hooked to his tractor. He's driving around his property, spread a manure. And he sees off in the distance a shiny metallic object. It's quite big. 20 feet long, 4 feet high, 15 feet wide. It looked like a, a, a just a big object. And at first he thinks, is that a fuel tank? Like, Or did a plane land in my field? Like He couldn't really make out what it was. So he drives over his manure spreading tractor over to this object. <laughs> Pulls up. Doesn't skid. There's nothing to skid on. It's dirt. He hops out, and he notices that it's not a fuel tank, it's not a, a airplane, it's something he, he's never seen before. He said that it looked like a metallic egg, a shiny, aluminum-colored metallic egg, with no rivets, no seams in it, just one thing. Now, that's a very common in UFOlogy. It's funny that, because Earth technology is even our most advanced stuff, like, you can see seams in it, there are... Because where the pieces of metal have to fit together, it always people always note when they discover this alien technology that it seems like it's just one piece of metal. Which I personally don't find that I don't find that impressive. Like I, maybe it's because I'm not like a metal worker man, but the fact that something's made out of one thing of metal, I would that wouldn't be what shocked me. What would shock me? I wouldn't really look into that detail. It was hovering. <laughs> it was hovering off the ground. That would be my first giveaway. That it was a UFO, not that I couldn't see any rivets. I will say this, though. Gary, 27-year-old Gary Wilcox, did something that I have not seen in any of my UFO stories that I've been doing for this show, or really any that I've read ever. He sees a ship, it's hovering slightly off the ground. He notices there's no rivets, there's no seams. It's this perfectly molded piece of metal. And it's most likely from either another planet, other dimension, something like that. It is not of this world. And Gary Wilcox walks up to it and kicks it, <laughs> which, which is something that I think a farmer would do. But I think I've never read that before. I've never read someone seeing a UFO and walking up and giving it a good kick like it was a tractor tire. Like he was trying to figure out what the air pressure was in it. He, gives, he kicks the ship and that causes two aliens to come out of it. So now you're like, oh, this is dope. Like, imagine if you were walking through the city and you saw a nice car and you're like, that's weird. 
never seen this make and model a car. It has no seams. And you just kick the side of the car and a bunch of metallic gangbangers crawl out of it. That's where I thought this story was going, but no. Something weirder happens than that. So these two aliens hop out. And they're described as four feet tall. So that's kind of the size of a gray alien. But he said they were covered in head-to-toe metal. They weren't robots. He never classified them as robots. But he said from foot to head, they were wearing a spacesuit. I couldn't see their faces. They just looked like these people who were wrapped in aluminum foil, soft aluminum foil. Very shiny metal people, but not metal. Like He assumes that there were aliens inside these suits. They hop out of the UFO, and they're carrying a tray of material. Space material, you ask? No, actually. On this tray, I wouldn't recognize these things. Well, maybe the last four, but the first one... The aliens jump out of the UFO. They're holding a tray that has alfalfa on it. I wouldn't know that if I was eating it. It also had roots, soil, leaves, and brush. So it was a collection of earthly materials on this tray. And he says, we just stood there staring at each other for a couple minutes. And he was terrified. He was absolutely terrified what was going on. Now, these aliens are watching him, and he's watching these aliens, and he's looking down at the tray they're holding. And most likely, they got this stuff from his farm. They're basically stealing stuff from his property. He's terrified to death. He said the first thing the aliens say to him on this warm April 24th. Is it warm in April in New York? On this regular April 24th day, 10 a.m. Right now it's probably like 10.10. But anyways, the aliens look at him and they go, don't be alarmed. We have spoken to people before. And I'd be thinking, I don't care how many people you've spoken to. I don't care if you're doing Tony Robbins seminars. I'm terrified. You're right in front of me. You guys are four feet tall. You jumped out of a spaceship and I can't see your faces. I don't care how many people you've talked to. But for whatever reason, this actually calms Gary Wilcox down. And and he says, he goes, this is the weird thing. This was an actual quote. I'll read his quote. Their voices did not sound like a voice I could describe. I could understand what was said, but cannot tell whether they were speaking English or not. So, that's kind of an interesting thing. It could be some sort of language trans... Assuming any of this is real, but with modern translators that we use, you'll hear the person speak in their native language, and then you'll hear them speak in English. I think. I think those have been invented, right? Those exist, right? It could be also some sort of telepathy or something like that, which is really common with... It's another common theme with UFO stories. We have the ship with no seams we have the possible telepathy. They can easily communicate with us. But then we start to get to a couple things that really deviate from normal, quote-unquote, normal UFO stories. But there's one particular fact that makes people go, this story is 100% a hoax, or 99% a hoax. And that's why it's not really talked about in UFOlogy. He starts, the, the aliens start a conversation with him. And they ask him, so what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm a farmer. This is my farm. And they go, what? what's that thing there? And he goes, this? This right here? That's my John Deere tractor. And they're like, oh, interesting. What's that thing on the back? He's like, oh, that uh, spreads out manure. And the two aliens look at each other. They go, what is this manure you speak of? And he's like, oh, I mean, do you, <laughs> do you want the Cliff Notes version? You want me to really tell you what it is? It's a, it's a big old pile of poop. It's a bunch of pile of poop mixed in with some nutrients. And then I put it in this fancy dancy machine and it just shoots it out everywhere, Dennis the Menace style. And the aliens are like, oh, that explains the smell. And they discussed his job for quite a while. They talked for a total of two hours, according to Gary Wilcox. He talked to these aliens for about two hours. Didn't get any farm work done talking to these two aliens. And one interesting fact is that the usually it's the person saying, 
Where do you come from? Are you here to declare war? Are you here to help our environment? Stuff like that. The aliens were asking the human questions. So that's one thing that you don't normally get in these stories. The aliens are actually more curious about him verbally than he's asking them questions. They do offer some information. though. They say, the reason why we're asking you all these questions about farming, the reason why we have this tray of stolen alfalfa, soil, roots, stuff like that, is because on our planet, we live on a rocky planet where organic substances don't really exist. We can't grow anything on our planet. So we're fascinated by the fact that Earth has these just minerals lying about, these organic materials lying about. So we're going to take these back, run a bunch of experiments on them. He's like, that's fascinating. They also gave an interesting, this is a really, really interesting comment. And it explains a lot about UFOs. And again, it's a shame that this story isn't more widely accepted. The aliens say, you know, we have a real problem with your guys' environment. Our ships cannot operate where there's pollution, where there's a lot of automobiles, where there's a lot of exhaust in the air, our ships can't fly. That's why we fly in rural areas. That's why we're mostly sighted out in farmlands. Now, that's so interesting because it answers two questions. It answers two big questions about modern UFO stories. One, why do UFOs always sighted by country bumpkins in the middle of nowhere? Because their ships can only fly out there. If you fly over L.A. City, like the Battle of Los Angeles, that was a hoax. It wasn't a hoax. It was just a mass hysteria event. It would explain why they're mostly seen in farmland areas. Is because that's where their ships are able to fly without any interference. Two, it ex- and I've been harping on this forever. It explains the idea of aliens coming down and telling us we got to change the environment and stuff like that. If we keep doing stuff to the environment, it's going to doom us. And we've gotten this huge wave of hippie aliens showing up for the past 30 years talking about the ozone layer and nonsense like that. This could be why. It's nothing to do with the fact like, oh no, humanity, if you keep putting carbon in the atmosphere, you'll die off. It's not that. It's that their ships won't work. If we keep polluting the planet, they can't keep coming down here to get our resources. Or eventually, if they ever do, do decide to do like a full-scale like colonization invasion... If their ships can't fly, there's going to be a very short-term invasion. So it answers those two questions, why they're always seen in the middle of nowhere, why aliens would care anything for our environment at all. Because if you can build a spaceship to fly around, you could easily build artificial environments, Dyson spheres, whatever. If you can build a spaceship, you can build a desalination plant. If you can build a spaceship that can bend the rules of the universe, you could easily go, oh, here's this two-by-two box that you press it, it cleans your atmosphere. But if their ships can't even get here because the pollution gets so bad, that makes more sense. So it answers those two questions about it. He goes, eventually he goes, hey, can I go, can I hitch a ride with you guys? Can I? Which is, again, this kid is quite bold. Walks up, kicks a UFO, and then asks for a ride on said UFO. And the aliens, I mean, they've been talking for two hours. They got to know each other, probably exchanged phone numbers. Maybe a little flirting was going on there. But the aliens said, you know what, dude, that'd be cool. But where we come from, the atmosphere is really, really thin, so you wouldn't be able to breathe. You're basically like, sure, you could come and hang out on our spaceship, but once we land, you will die. So they said they couldn't do that. And they went on and on, and then he, he finally said at the end, he goes, hey, you know what? You guys are really interested in manure, right? And they're like, oh, that's a nice way to wrap up this conversation. Yes, we are interested in your earth manure. He goes, I can go get you a bag. I can go get you a bag of manure, give it to you, you take it back to your spaceship. And the aliens go, we don't have time. Like, if you, by the time you get back to your farmhouse and get back here, because it was like a 300-acre farm, 
He goes, we got to go, dude. Which seems weird that they talked for two hours, and then when he said he just needed to go get some manure, all of a sudden they had to leave. Which, to be fair, if I was hanging out at someone's house, and I was having a good time, we were talking, and then he goes, hey man, you want to take some manure home with you? I would be like, uh, it's time to go. But anyway, so the aliens get in their ship, and it goes, oh, oh, actually, they get back off the ship. They got to deliver one more message. They jump off the ship, and they say, hey, we're going to tell you something. We're going to tell you something. John Glenn, you know, astronaut John Glenn, and Gary's like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally know him. And they're like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> you know, John Glenn, there's also an astronaut named Virgil Grissom. He's a U.S. astronaut, and Gary Wilcox said, yeah, I kind of know him. And then, and then they said two Russian astronauts. They don't say the names in the reports, but so John Glenn, Virgil Grissom, and two Russian astronauts, the aliens say they're going to die within a year due to exposure from, quote, the elements of space. And then they get back on their spaceship, and Gary Wilcox is like, oh, that was creepy. And the ship goes, and just disappears, flies off so fast that you can't see it. Now, Gary has just wasted two hours. I guess it's not a waste to have interstellar communication, but Gary has spent two hours of his day in the middle of the field talking to either aliens or figments of his imagination. But he says, you know what? I'm going to get them that bag of fertilizer. So he goes back to his farmhouse. He actually continues to do his duties. He ends up loading a 75-pound bag of manure, drives it back to the spot where the spaceship landed, and throws it down and goes home. And he says the next day that bag of manure was gone. Dun, dun, dun. Now, the reason why we know about this is because he did call the police afterwards. He said, which is, it's funny because who would you call? Like, it definitely you would think, oh, that was kind of cool, hung out with some dope aliens, you know, talked about alfalfa and manure for a while. She told me a couple astronauts were going to die. That might be a national security problem. But you also figure at the end of the day, it would be the same thing if any foreign government just happened to land in your yard, talk to you for a while. Eventually, you would probably want to alert the authorities. He alerted the authorities. Then it got, then the UFO community got wind of it. And apparently he was offered a bunch of money for exclusive rights to his story and he turned it down. So people have said, he probably wasn't a financial motive in this, but the reason why, uh, let me uh, let me talk about the prophecy here real quick, because that's not why UFOologists disregard this story. So let's look at that prophecy. The story took place in 1964. The aliens said within a year, John Glenn, Virgil Grissom, and two Russian astronauts were going to die due to exposure from space. Within three years, uh, John Glenn didn't die then. John Glenn was still around. But within three years, Virgil died in a... Apollo, I think it was the it was some Apollo mission where the uh, capsule burnt up. Him and two other American astronauts cooked to a crisp in this reentry capsule, or maybe it was on launch. But anyways, they died. And then there was a Russian astronaut um, named Vladimir. Of course, he died in 1967. He died on the exact date, April 24th, 1967, three years to the day. Now, so their prophecy was not true. Which, if we want to be skeptical and say none of it was true, then of course. That was just statistical that people in a high-risk business were going to die doing that. So you could just write that off. I would say, if you believe this story, the reason why the prophecy could be wrong, and I don't really know if it's a prophecy as much as it is a warning, but it could be wrong because our spacesuit technology at this stage in development was better than that alien's race. So when they first started shooting people off to their moons... They, they were dying of exposure to space, but we had a better system, so we weren't dying because of all those elements out there. If we're assuming the story is true, that is a way to work around the prophecy. 
So if it's a hoax, you should never include prophecies in your hoaxes, ever. Unless it's a thousand years from now. If you're ever planning on pulling a hoax, if you're ever planning on having like a vision or something like that, never set a date. Never set a date. It will always backfire, even if you think it's 100%. But that's not the, the false warning. The warning that turned out not to be true is not the reason why UFOlogists don't believe this. Because people still believe in Nostradamus, even though his dates constantly change. There's a particular fact that I left out of this story. So let's say you were listening to this story this whole time, and you thought, this is fascinating. And I do think it's fascinating, even with this particular fact. But I'm telling you this story. I left out a key detail. And it's the reason why UFOlogists don't believe the story. And it is the dumbest reason to not believe this story. The aliens said that they come from a planet where organic matter doesn't grow. They come from a planet with a thin atmosphere. They come from a rocky planet. And they told Gary Wilcox the name of that planet. That planet's name is Mars. Because this story takes place on the planet closest to us, it has pretty much been dismissed by modern UFOologists. Because they say, well, there are no aliens on Mars. If he had said they came from the global glop system, if he had said they had come from nine planets beyond the eighth veil, this story would be more entrenched in the lore. The first documented case of voluntarily trading with an alien species. Well, they didn't give us anything, but we gave them earthly materials. This would have been one of those stories that went around. But because he named it as Mars, and people go, well, there are no aliens on Mars. It's impossible. It gets brushed to the side. And I find that fascinating because, one, if you believe in things like faster than light travel and the government's covering up, why wouldn't you believe the government is covering up life on Mars? If you look at Mars and say that's a dead planet, you could say, well, why, maybe there's aliens in the middle of it. Maybe there's aliens in the cave system. Because if you're going to believe in something as, this just, I mean, let's just say it, if you're going to believe in something as ludicrous as aliens to begin with, why stop there? It's so bizarre to me. I believe in aliens. I don't think they come from other star systems. I would find it far more likely that there were aliens inside a cave system in Mars or some other place in our solar system. I would find that infinitesimally more... Is that a word? Infinitesimal? I would find that far, far more likely than them coming from Alpha Centauri or the Draco star cluster or whatever. That is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. If you're going to expend the fuel to get from all the way from there to come here, you're not picking alfalfa. You're not picking up cows. Okay? I don't think they come from that far away. I've said this before. I think they're already here. I think they're coming from another dimension or they're with our local star system, i.e. our solar system. That just makes more sense. But because the idea of aliens from Mars is such a joke that people just disregard it out of hand. And his story has really been considered a hoax for decades because of that one word, Mars. If aliens were going to come from anywhere in outer space, they would come from someplace relatively close to us. If they're breaking the laws of physics, then they're fairies and they're angels and they're whatever. I mean, you just have to look at it realistically like that. It's, and to me, that actually makes it more exciting to think that aliens are already here like, they they traveled here four million years ago, and they're right underneath us. Or they're just shifting from one dimension to another, and they can pop up anywhere. I find that stuff far more intriguing than a, than a space empire across the galaxy, because who cares about that? 
to think that there are next door neighbors and they're picking our vegetables and taking them home, I find far, far more interesting. But modern UFOlogy disagrees with me. They really have, it's the same thing with Bigfoot people. They have this rigid ideology that anything, they don't like to be contested. It has to fit that ideology. If he had said any other planet, this story would be regarded in a different way. You have to wonder how many other stories out there are like this. Stories that are intriguing have these interesting little tidbits of alien life and the motives of why aliens do the things they do. Because this really story really explains a lot about why aliens do the things they do. And they just get buried because they don't fit the dogma of the UFO community. Researchers going over reams and reams of data and they come across these stories that just don't fit. It's like a religious text. This is what the UFO lore is. And anything that doesn't contribute to the overall arc that the people, the powers that be in the UFO community want it to be, they get pulled out. Like the Council of Nicaea, putting the Bible together. We do the same thing with UFOlogy. This story doesn't fit the overall narrative, tear it out. This story doesn't fit the overall narrative, tear it out. These five do, put them in. Even though they add nothing to what we know about why UFOs and aliens work. They add nothing. They only reinforce what you want us to think about that. UFOlogy has long been rumored to not be a collection of crackpots, ex-military officials, politicians, and people gazing up at the sky. It's long been rumored to not be controlled by those people. The Bigfoot community, a bunch of weirdos. The paranormal community, a bunch of weirdos. And I'm including myself in those groups. But the UFOologists, there's always been a rumor that it is not being controlled top-down by the weirdos with a passion for unidentified flying objects. That it is being dictated by the governments of the world who use weirdos, who use ex-military officials, who use whistleblowing politicians. They're all part of this power structure. You don't ever hear that. You don't ever hear that the government is interfering with Bigfoot investigations. But you often hear that they're interfering with UFO investigations. And you'll also hear some of the top names in UFOlogy being named by others as disinfo agents, as shills, as people who are put into power either have their books pushed more or their personal UFO organizations pushed more by an overseeing body, by a controlling hand. And when that happens, and I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. It's just long been a rumor that the, the top weirdos, the top weirdos of the UFO community are disinfo agents, the gatekeepers of UFO lore. The most likely explanation is there is no rumored group controlling UFO mythology because there are no UFOs, that it's all optical illusions and what people are seeing is something, but they're not aliens from another planet or another dimension or anything like that. It's another phenomenon. That's the most skeptical, rational answer. But to people who see UFOs and people who have seen aliens and things like that, that answer doesn't wash. And then we have people like Gary Wilcox, people who tell their story, and it becomes a hoax. It becomes a joke. It becomes disregarded because everyone knows there are no aliens on Mars. If it was a hoax, it was a very costly one for Gary Wilcox. 
his farm ended up going out of business because large stretches of land would no longer grow vegetables. He also had to get treated reportedly, reportedly. He also had to get cut. He also had to get treated for radiation burns because of his close contact to whatever it was that was out in his field that day. In the end, though, he did leave the farm and became an accomplished mechanic. And there's been rumors that his mechanical abilities were given to him by his contact with the aliens. I don't know if that's true. He may have always been a gifted mechanic. But his story ends on a high note. Yes, he did have the radiation burns, and yes, his business did fail, but he did much better in his later years. But his story didn't. While his personal life may have had a happy ending, his story has been relegated to being another joke, another little hoax, and it's time to move on and look towards the quote-unquote legitimate alien stories, the stories that match the narrative that somebody wants us to believe. The saying never was, I want to believe. The saying actually is, I will tell you what to believe, and you will believe nothing else. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.